Hi, this is Pastor Paul Jay Chandran. Welcome to Life Church Castle Hill podcast. I pray that the Lord will speak to you through the Word of God. We believe that when we open the pages of Scripture, we not only get a message from the Word of God, but we also encounter the God of the Word. May you encounter the God of the Word and may your life be transformed from the inside out. God bless you. Enjoy this message. I've looked at people's lives long enough to conclude that problems are inevitable. But if problems are inevitable, how do you deal with problems is important. And I found five different ways people deal with problems. The first way is people avoid problems. There are some who are too afraid to confront the issue in front of them. So they try to circumvent. They try to play nice. They try to keep quiet. They try to avoid the issue altogether. But how many of you know, long enough, if you stay in that situation long enough, you will explode. Avoiding problem is not the way to go. The other way that people deal with problems is they abscond from problems. As soon as that marriage becomes difficult, they take a hike. As soon as that job becomes difficult, people in the job becomes hard to deal with. They resign and they quit and they abscond from problems. It's another way of coping mechanism that people have. Other group of people, they just learn to live with problem. They get accustomed to the problem, so they learn to have accommodate. They accommodate the problems. Okay, that's the lot in life. Nothing is going to ever change. That's how it's going to be. And I've learned to close one eye and learn to live with this. They accommodate problems. Or the other group of people I've seen is they constantly announce their problems. They're constantly going around telling everybody how miserable their life is. How miserable the marriage is. How miserable this is. That is, they constantly announce. And it doesn't inspire any confidence. It just, it just, it just keeps on, it just keeps on talking about, discussing the issues. No solution. Then there's another group of people who aggravate the problems. The problem was only a small thing, but they pour petrol on that fire. Some people are very gifted at that. They take a mountain out of a molehill, right? They, these are the people who aggravate problems. They're the ones when you, when you talk to them, they will always say, many are saying this. Probably you spoke to one. But exaggeration will be within their heart. Why? Because sometimes we exaggerate to say things to carry weight so others will listen. Problems, exaggeration, aggravate the problems. All these five are immature way of dealing with problems. You don't announce, you don't accommodate, you don't aggravate. But Jesus says you answer these problems in the right manner. You deal with ish, you deal with life in a theocentric manner, in a biblical manner. So it is not about having fun all the time and not knowing how to face issues. There will be issues in life. So you and I, we need to learn how to face issues in life, but face it in a God-centered manner, in a biblical manner. So you learn to respond to things that happen, not react to things that happen. So James, as a pastor of the early church, he's addressing this key issue in the lives of his members. They are spread all over the Asia Minor region and he addresses them and he says problems will happen. In chapter 1 of James, in verse 2, he already said trials will happen. 
What is trials? It's the testing of your faith. It will be temptations that you need to overcome. And then in verse 12, he encourages them by saying in chapter 1, remain steadfast in the midst of your trial. Because when you have overcome the test, when you withstand the test, you will receive the crown of life which God has for those who love him. Now he understands trials are part of life. Then he goes on to say how your heart attitude should be in the midst of trials. And he addresses this in verse 19. He says, be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. Because he understands a person who is annoyed or agitated on the inside, when a person is anxious, when, when life throws a curveball, when, when there is a problem at hand and they don't know how to deal with it, they will be anxious, anxiety will fill their heart. They will be annoyed with people around them. So he graciously tells them and warns them ahead of time. He says, slow to speak, quick to hear and slow to anger and now we have been dealing with this in chapter 2 he says people will treat you with prejudice if you're rich you'll be treated differently if you're poor people might treat you differently so you have to deal with prejudice in life then in chapter 3 he says there will be people who are self-centered and all they want is their agenda they will push for their own agenda so you have to know how to deal with self-centered people then in chapter 4, he says there will be conflicts because when self-centered people are struggling to have their way, sure enough, they will step on you and you will feel like reacting. So there will be quarrels among you. And then in chapter 5, he says there will be oppression from the rich to the poor. The rich who are the employers might not pay them right, might withhold the pay and oppress them. So in life, there will be huge challenges to face. So he brings all this into his focus and he brings a godly counsel on how to deal with problems in life. And he gives two things. One, an internal attitude of a believer facing problems and the external action the believer ought to do. There are two things, the internal attitude and the external action. He brings this in this passage that we're going to meditate this morning. Go with me to James chapter 5 and look at verse 7 all the way to verse 12. We're going to read it together. James chapter 5 verse 7 all the way to verse 12. Let's read it. 3, 2, 1. Be patient therefore brothers until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. I want you to circle a couple of things as we read together. See how he says patient. That word is repeated at least twice in that verse. Be patient. And then see how the farmer is being patient to receive the fruit of the earth. And then he says in verse 8, you also be patient. So by repetition, you already know what's the theme of this passage. Then he says, establish your hearts. Let's read it together. 3, 2, 1. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Twice he has repeated that already. Verse 7, he said, for the coming of the Lord. And now in verse 8, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. That means he's saying, the Lord is coming soon. Jesus Christ is returning back to the earth once again. And because we are waiting for his coming, your attitude inside your heart should be patience. 
And then he goes in verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now he addresses relationships. He says, do not grumble against one another, that you may not be judged. The judge, who is the judge? It's the capital J. It is Jesus, the one who is going to come back. The Lord Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, he's not coming as the savior. The first time he came, he came as the savior to die for your sin. The second time he comes, he's coming as the king of kings and the Lord of lords and the judge of all mankind. Can you say amen? And he says the judge is coming and he's standing at the door. So then he says in verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, circle those two words. Here he brings patience and he says suffering and patience. As an example of suffering and patience, Brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. The first one he wants you to take interest in is the prophets in the Old Testament. Look at their life. Look at their example, how they lived a life of patience in the midst of suffering. And then in verse 11, behold, we consider those who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. I love it. You've heard the testimony of Job, how he was steadfast. We all know the story of Job in the Old Testament. And he brings his testimony and he says, that's how you and I, we should be in our suffering and in our patience. And then he brings the theology, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The Lord fulfilled his purpose in Job's life. And then in verse 12, but about all my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other. Can I have a little bit more on him? any other oath but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation here is a passage where he deals with problems that people are going to face and he explains the internal attitude of a believer and the external behavior or the action that a believer should have so what is it it's the two words one is patience Patience has to be in your heart. And then, not only you need to be governed by patience in your heart, but you also need to learn to persevere with your hands. That means whatever you're doing, whatever God has committed to you to do, you do it with patience in your heart and with perseverance in your hands. Persevere in the work. Now, these two things are fundamental for a Christian life. And especially for people who have been called into the gospel. You are a, you're living a life of a believer, the follower of Christ. God expects you and I to walk with patience in our heart and our hands girded with strength to do, to be steadfast, to persevere in what he has called us to do. How many of you know that patience is very important, but it's lacking in many of our lives? How many of you would say that you have been very patient this 2016? Come on. You've been very patient. You've been filled with patience. No. All we need to do is to ask your spouse or ask your children or ask the person who was driving in front of you slow in M2 on that busy day whether you really had patience or not. The reality is you and I, we don't have this and increasingly society is heading towards a place where we are impatient. But patience is necessary when you want to be godly and God-centered. 
But here in this context, he's talking about people who are going through suffering. These are not people who are impatient for the food to come out of the microwave. These are not the people who are impatient for, for TV, the show that they want to watch. It hasn't been streamed from US yet. You know, this culture right now is the binge watching culture where we want to watch everything that we in, in one go. You go to the shop, you get a Korean drama and you want to watch the entire DVD of 12 series, 24, 48, whatever they have in one lot. Because that's the culture we live in. People can't wait, no ads, nothing. I just want the whole thing. I want to just be glued to. Because we are impatient. That's the generation we are living in. But he's not talking about your, your comfort not being right. He's talking about people who are going through persecution for their faith. James is addressing people who have been isolated because of their faith in Jesus Christ. These are Jewish believers who have been ostracized by their own family members. Who may not be, people won't do business with them. I'm still screaming, I need warning. The important thing is, he's addressing issues. And he's saying, these are people who are suffering for the sake of the gospel. And he says, they need, they want all of, their, all of you when you're being punched by others around you. You feel like reacting. And he says, don't react. Instead, have patience. And what he's bringing to them is, have patience because the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming and he is coming very soon. You know, the early church was saying, the Lord is coming imminently. They were saying the Lord will come anytime. But the reality was, they've been saying that for the last 2000 years and he still hasn't come. And but, to, but that doesn't change the fact that the Lord is coming. It doesn't change the fact he's coming. You and I, we think why the Lord is slow. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, the Bible says, The Lord is not slow. He is just being more patient towards the world. You and I, we need to learn to understand that just because for 2,000 years we've been saying that the Lord is coming and he hasn't come, don't lose sight of his coming. He is coming. And because, why is he coming? Why is he so slow in coming? Because he's been patient enough to win more for the kingdom of God. He's allowing you and I to mature in Christ so that we become relevant and the gospel can work among the people of the earth and bring them into the kingdom of God. That's why he's slow. He's patient. So he's saying, don't, don't lose heart. Just because you're going through a tough time, don't say, where's God in all this? God is where he should be. He's near you. He's helping you. So your theology has to be, he's coming. And when he comes, he will right every wrong. He will restore everything I lost. He will be my rewarder, my ultimate source of my comfort. And so I'm looking forward to his coming. And because I know a day will come when God will answer those things that I'm going through right now. I may not understand why now, but a day is coming when I will, when I will have an understanding. So right now what I do is, I develop patience and I trust him. So he brings in a couple of things about patience. He says, number one, be patient like a farmer. How many of you ever watched a farmer's life? You know, farmers don't do a job. Farmers don't have career. Farmers, it's a calling. It's a way of life. It's a way of life. 
they don't do it because of the money that's involved in it they don't do it because it's the it's a glamorous job no you're playing from sun up to sundown in the field burning hot but what are you doing you're, it's a call it's a life calling and many farmers don't change careers it's a generations you go and see it's usually runs in the family one generation to another generation why because that's the way of life so he picks from a nature and he brings the issue of a farmer the farmer waits he says see how the farmer waits that's the attitude a believer should have you've been engaged in a lifestyle you've been engaged in a way of life with god as you grow in jesus as you grow in the gospel you need to be as patient as a farmer so how the farmer sows a seed and waits for the season to harvest the Bible says in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 22, there's two things that will always remain in the earth. Read it together with me. Three, two, one. The two things. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, day and night shall not cease. There's always a seed time and a harvest. A farmer recognizes it. No matter how much need he has, he can't go to the ground and say, grow up and give me the crop tomorrow. It won't because there is a seed time and then there is a harvest time so you need to understand that there is a season for things to take place in your life why are people like that why can't they grow up why can't they mature why can't they act their age why can't they be certain way they know the gospel for so long why you and I we need to understand you got to develop patience like a farmer there is a time to keep sowing and a time for them to keep maturing a time will come but then another thing about the farmer he says is they are waiting patiently why because there are things that are beyond the control of a farmer what is it one thing is the rain rain is beyond the control of a farmer no matter how much he sweats it no matter how much he prays and believes God rain will only come if God allows and there are two seasons of rain that a farmer in the Palestine would require one is the early rain which is the autumn rain as soon as you plant the seeds you wait for the autumn rain to come and allow the seeds to germinate then you wait for the crop to grow and mature and then finally before harvest there must be the latter rain the spring rain that should come and that spring rain will allow the grains to swell so these two rains are important even if one of them don't come you're finished but if both these things are determined by the Lord and so he says a farmer has to have faith and patience that God is looking after for him and he patiently sows in does what he needs to do every single day but he is, there are things that's beyond his control so he has to have a patience in his heart as he grows the crop grows a time comes when the rain comes the second rain could even destroy the entire crop if the rain is too much it can destroy so there's no guarantee that you will have a harvest but yet the farmer knows that when I don't have a harvest this year it doesn't matter life doesn't finish now I just have to cut the losses go back and sow for the next year a farmer's life is difficult and that's what he brings in here he says the life of a believer is like that you and I we need to develop the patience of a farmer 
and the patience of a farmer in your marriage will help you in your parenting will help you why because you trust God and the outcome is in the hands of the Lord how many parents have spoken to I disciple my kids I walked with my kids but in the teenage years they walked away from God you've done your best you've done what you need to do but yet they have followed the course of the world but that's where you got to come before God and be patient to know that the Lord who is sovereign looks after these things he comes before God and he says develop the patience God is in charge farmer waits and then he says you also be patient and in verse 8 he declares the heart attitude that a believer should have let's read verse 8 together come on Let's have verse 8 again. Come on, read it together. Pay attention to what you're going to hear next because this is one fundamental. In the midst of your suffering, in the midst of what you think you're going through is very difficult, you need to learn to establish your heart. Your heart needs to be centered in God. And in his word your heart needs to be surrounded with people that can speak into your life that's why he comes in and he play, pays attention to establish your heart I mean if you know that when you are going through a tough time your heart ha can become very bitter your heart can become so hardened and when your heart is not right with God you question God, you, you question what's going on around you, you don't understand why, you, you, have a, you have a suspicion of everybody around you, your heart is in a mess. And he understands this. And he says that's why the most important thing that you need to learn to establish while you're going through a crisis or problem is your heart. In this house we call the heart your inner life. We talk about the inner compulsions of a heart. We talk about the inner convictions in a heart. We talk about the inner conscience in a heart. We talk about the inner compass in a heart and the inner composure of a heart, which is the restedness. But when you're going through suffering and you're being pounded on every side, guess what? The heart will be the one that becomes disturbed. So it loses your rest. The composure will leave you. Your compulsions, if you don't keep your compulsions in check, it will go to the dark side and your dark compulsions will take over. And when your dark compulsions take over, you lose the hope that you have in God. When your dark compulsions take over, you want to react rather than respond. You want to give it back and take revenge. Take your pound of flesh when you're going through suffering. That's why it's very important that the establishment of heart needs to be happening at that time. So how do you establish your heart? That's what he brings in here examples from the scripture he says in verse 9 do not grumble against one another brothers so that you may not be judged behold the judge is standing at the door how many of you ever been in a crisis in a situation when your heart is so much up and down and you're losing sleep and and the heart is gripped with anxiety the the, the heart gets irritated and annoyed because of what's happening around you the injustice and suddenly 
even people with good intentions, they come and say something, what do you normally do? You react violently and you give it to them. He understands human nature that people, when you are going, your heart is not right, you will continue to criticize and grumble about people around you. No wonder he leads them to say, do not grumble against one another at that season. Why? What is grumble? Grumble means you complain about everything in a bad manner, in a bad tempered way. You're complaining, complaining all the time, murmuring, grumbling. And he's saying, that's what will happen because you are, your heart is not rested and you will start to hurt one another. So he says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, because you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. He's listening. Even if people want to come and help you, they can't because you, your heart is not right. You will react. Then he goes on to say in verse 10, look at the examples of people in the past from the prophets and then from the book of Job in the life of Job. He brings these two examples. Patience is something that you and I, we need to have. Prophets in the Old Testament, they both had patience and perseverance in their life. Let me give you a couple of examples. For example, God speaks to Hosea in the Old Testament to a prophet. And he says, Hosea, I want you to go and marry this woman called Gomer. And where are you going to find Gomer? You're going to find Gomer in the red light district. She's one of the prostitutes. You're going to go find her, pay her money, bring her out, marry her, have children with her. And she'll stay with you for a while and then she'll run back to her business always. Then God speaks to him again. Go back, bring her back. Now you tell me the condition of a man who's married to a woman like that. Rage, anger, jealous. But God was dealing with not only Gomer, God was dealing with Hosea. And God was using Hosea as an example to the children of Israel to say how he has been patient with them. You look at someone like Isaiah in the Bible. Isaiah is a prophet who God calls in Isaiah chapter 6. And as soon as he sees the vision of God in, in the heavenly throne room, Isaiah realizes that he is a man with unclean lips. So he says, God, I'm a man with unclean lips. And God sends an angel who comes and touches his lips with a coal of fire from God's altar. And as soon as the fire touches his lips, the lips now is sanctified. It's purified. It becomes pure. And God says, who can I send on my behalf to speak to the people of Israel? And you know what Isaiah says? I will go, Lord. I will go. He was already commissioned to go. Then Isaiah chapter 6, you continue reading. He says to them, he says to Isaiah, you go Isaiah, you will speak my word, but they won't listen. I will harden their heart. They won't listen. They will be dull of hearing. They will hear, but not hear. They will say, yes, yes, that's truth, but they will not follow. They will not obey. They will not do what I asked them to do, but yet I'm sending you. He's like, what kind of business is this? I got to walk around in the hot sun. I got to declare what you are calling me to do, but there will be no sales. You will not make any profit. How many of you have your business plan written like that? And that's the calling that God gave Isaiah. Go. He comes to a man by the name of Jeremiah. He says, Jeremiah, you're a young man. Young man. Jeremiah says, yes, Lord. I'm a young boy. I want to serve you all my life. Yes. But you're going to be serving me in a difficult situation. The circumstances will be 
difficult idolatry injustice and i'm about to bring babylon to come and finish them all off and they're going to take them into exile so this is going to be a very terrible season and when babylon comes they rape all the women kill all the children so this is what i'm going to ask you you're going to serve me yes lord i want to serve you okay then remain single don't get married why because when difficulty comes you'll be thinking about how to protect my wife and my children instead of serving me so stay single Wow. <laughs> all my friends are getting married me you serve god that's a prophet isaiah after all that serving he did you know what they did to isaiah historians say that isaiah went and hid they put him into the tree the trunk of a tree and as he was there they cut the tree into half cutting slicing him into two pieces Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 36 onwards it declares what happened to some of these prophets when they were serving God. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 36 look at what it says. It says others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn into. That's the line about Isaiah. They were sawn into. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats. destitute afflicted mistreated and he says are you like that you know you and i we complain if the aircon doesn't work you and i we complain if you don't get the right car park spot you want you already suffering enough and what he says is take courage from people who lived before you these are people who were sawn in half and they died for the cause of Christ your suffering is nothing compared to that so have patience have patience and persevere in what you are called to do then he goes on to the second one he says job who is job in the old testament job is a celebrated man he was he was having a very successful career life prosperous man all his children were doing well but in one day he lost absolutely everything Can I humbly say many times people don't understand what was going on within Job that caused him to experience all that. Can I say this go with me to Job chapter 3. If you want to know why Job went through what Job went through, read Job chapter 1. It says that there was a dialogue between God and Satan and God and Satan went into a a match to say you you do what you need to do with Job but God put limitations and God says my job will still stand strong for me but you need to know what was going on within job job was a man who was righteous on the outside but inside his heart was still very weak look at what the bible says in verse 3 chapter 3 and verse 25 3 to 1 for the thing that i fear comes upon me and what i dread befalls me i'm not at ease nor am i quiet i have no rest but trouble comes In these two verses you see the heart condition of Job. One he said I was so fearful. I was dreading a lot of things. And then he says I'm not at ease. I have no rest. How can a man who trusts God have no rest in his heart? I tell you why. Because he hasn't learned to establish himself in God. That's a key. You and I we need to know that security doesn't lie in having all this wealth and all these other things going everything going according to the way you plan no when life is difficult 
Don't let that difficulty rob you of the rest that you need to have on your heart. Establish your heart in that rest. There must be rest. There must be ease. When there is no ease in your heart, disease comes. When there is no rest in your heart, trouble comes. When there is no, your heart is occupied with fear. That means there's no hope, there's no faith, there's no love. When your heart is occupied with fear, he says, I have been filled with fear. How many times have heard people talk about things that they are dreading about? You know, I'm dreading this. I'm dreading that I'm, I'm, I'm scared of this. I fear, I fear that this might happen. I can guarantee you, you keep saying that those exact things that you fear will happen because your heart is not established you're going to come to a place that doesn't mean that you just change your confession you know the positive thinking will just say just say you're 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 fine you're great you're wonderful you're beautiful you're handsome it's not about changing your confession it's about changing the condition of your heart it is about saying that god you're my strength you're my portion you're my cup forever and whatever necessary journey of life I go through, no matter what it is, whether it's suffering or whether it's pleasure, Lord, give me grace to be anchored in you, that my heart finds its rest in you, that I'm not afraid, but I have faith in you. I know in whom I have believed. My Redeemer lives, Job declares. That's the steadfastness of Job. He, he came to a point in, in the 42 chapters, he came to a point where he established his faith in God. More and more, his friends came and tell him, what wrong did you do? What sin did you commit? He didn't lose hope. His wife came and said, curse God and die. You lost everything. He says, with wife like this, who needs enemies? No, he didn't. He just came before God and he said, Lord, help me. Help me. Steadfast, steadfastness of Job. That's where he says the theology comes in. The theology is, you have seen the purpose of God, how God was so compassionate and merciful. God, yes, God brought him through that necessary journey. But at the end of his life, God intervenes and God reverses everything and restores everything. And God says, Job, I'm powerful, compassionate, merciful. You know, you and I, when you're going through things, you don't think... You can't see what's going to happen tomorrow. You, you, all you see is doom and gloom. And when can this ever change? You know, God didn't come to Job and say, Job, I tell you a secret. What you're going through will end well. No problem. You just, you just, you just be okay, 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 okay for a while, okay? Just, just, just die, 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 but okay. Lah. But in the end, things will change. I'll give you back your business. I'll give you back your family. I'll give you all these things. Seven times, I'll prosper you more and more. You know, you'll be doubly prospered. And if, you, if God comes and tells all that, Job will be like, good, now I can be all right. But that's not how it happened. God doesn't tell what's going to happen next. In some of our lives, He may not change anything. You may not change. He may not change your circumstances. He may not give you the double portion at the end of your life. You may live and die losing everything. But will you still hold on to God? Will you still be steadfast in your affection to God and say, God, help me. I'm going to be anchored in this. The good that you call me to do, I will do. What you've called me to live out, I will live out. Even if my condition of my life has not changed, I will. That's the steadfastness. 
So he says, develop patience in your heart, establish your heart, and then persevere in what God calls you to do. Those two things are fundamental and vital. Then lastly, he takes on and he goes in verse 12. He says, about all my brothers, do not swear either by heaven nor by earth, nor by any oath at all. In other words, when you're going through a tough time, you know the most vulnerable place where you will keep stumbling is your mouth. You will say things that you don't mean. You do things, you, you say things that you regret later. And if you learn how to, how to handle your mouth when you're going through a season of crisis, you are a perfect man and a woman. Don't let this stumble you. In other words, don't swear, don't give oath. You know, I'm telling you the truth, you know, I, I really mean it. A believer should never say, I really mean it. Why? Because every time you speak, you should really mean it. You should not be emphasizing, I really mean it, you know. If you have to say it, that means all this time, what the heck were you doing? So what God was saying is, don't say things that you don't mean. Mean what you say. Yes is a yes. No is a no. And live with that. That means don't compromise just because to get out of this difficulty I'm in, I need to manipulate the situation. I just need to say what they want to hear so that I can be left alone. I can go on my own. No, no, no. Don't try to engineer, manipulate through your words because your word is your bond. What you say, do it. If you make a promise, keep it. Honor the words. So he's very careful. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 says, when you come into the worship center, when you come before God to worship God in the temple, make sure your words are few because God records everything you say. Many people come to the altar and exchange vows and they say, in sickness and in health, for richer or for poorer, I will marry you. You made that commitment before God. In the That's why sometimes people don't want to get married in the church nowadays. They want to go to the beach and clubhouse. But wherever people are gathered in the name of Christ, guess who is the silent listener? Christ is. Let your words be few. And if you mean it, mean it. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. It's important. So what Jesus was saying in this even in Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 onwards, Jesus says the same thing. That let your words be yes. And let your words be no. And mean it. Don't go back and forth in your commitment to what God calls you to do. So can I humbly say, as I end this, two things are very important. When if you're going through a tough time, and I understand some of you in your life, you might be going through a season that what we call in this house a necessary journey. And in this season of necessary journey, learn to develop patience. Ask God for patience in your heart. Don't let things around you disturb the condition of your heart. Your condition of your heart is precious, more precious than anything else. Patience and learn to persevere. Learn to persevere. Don't give up. Don't give up. When, when going gets tough, don't give up. Don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. Don't go weary in doing good, the Bible says. Praise God. You know, I'm, I'm taking courage in what godly men have gone through in their life. John Wesley writes in his journal that when he was preaching for the first time, when God called him to preach, 
He goes to the streets to preach. They stone him. They throw him out. He goes, he got invited to preach in a church in the morning. And after the sermon, the, the deacon threw him out and gave him a note. Never come back. This happened earlier on in his life. Wherever he went to preach, doors were closed and people threw him out and they were stoning him. And one day in his journal, he says, this morning I preached. They threw me out. This afternoon I preached. In this field, 10,000 people came to hear me. Just like that, God just changed. Why? He was patient that God, you are the one who allows me to do what you're calling me to do. Persevere in doing that good. Things change. The founder of modern missions, William Carey. He went to India. He's a shoe cobbler. Went to India. And he said, yes, I'm going to win India for Christ. After many years, didn't have a single convert. His wife died. His son died. His second wife also died. He continued to pursue, but nothing happened. When he died, he left about 700 believers. That's all he got. But he had translated the Bible in 19 local languages. Perseverance. Patience. You may not see results straight away. But you got to wait. Persistence. Even in life. If you're a businessman, listen. KFC founder, Colonel Sanders. He had a recipe at the age of 60 plus. Everybody wants to retire. He went from shop to shop, shop to shop, restaurant to restaurant, wanting to give up his recipe, secret recipe for chicken. Everybody tried his chicken. They said it's nice, but nobody wanted to engage him in a business. He didn't give up. He traveled across the country. Thousand and ninth restaurant said yes. And the rest, as they say, is history. KFC was born. Even in life, don't give up. Persistence. Persistence to say, God, you give me grace that I don't give up on my marriage too soon. I don't give up on my children too soon. I don't give up on my career too soon. I don't give up on what you're calling me to do too soon just because I face some negativity, some people who don't understand, some crisis, some difficulty in relationships. Help me. Resolve in your heart. Resolve in your heart. Not to be a quitter, but the person who puts his hand into the plow and stays there committed before the Lord. Can you say amen? Let's stand before the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to our message. We pray that God's word spoke to your heart and gave you an inspiration and encouragement. If you are truly blessed by this, would you take a moment to leave a comment or give us a rating on the Apple podcast service? Not only that, take an opportunity to share this on social media platforms so others who are in similar situations may be encouraged with the word of God. We love you. If you want to connect with our church, Go to connect.idmc.com.au and share with us where you're from, what you're doing, so that we can keep you in our prayers before the Lord. God bless you. 